Welcome to Money and Meaning, a podcast where we connect with people around the world who are working to unlock the powers of markets for impact. I'm Robert Munson, a Managing Director at the Sorensen Impact Center and President of SOCAP Global. This podcast series is hosted by SOCAP Global and the Sorensen Impact Center. SOCAP Global convenes the largest and most diverse community in impact through live and digital experiences that educate, spur conversation, and inspire investment and positive impact. We work under the leadership of the Sorensen Impact Center, which helps organizations achieve their impact vision. The center is proudly housed at the University of Utah's David Eccles School of Business. Each episode of Money and Meeting features new stories of amazing people who are leveraging the power of capital markets for the betterment of people and planet in a just and sustainable way. You'll hear more conversations like this at SOCAP 23, our next flagship event held in October in San Francisco. As a podcast listener, you can save $50 off the current ticket price with the code MONEYMEANING23 in all caps M-O-N-E-Y-M-E-A-N-I-N-G-2-3. Register today at SOCAPGlobal.com. This episode features a fireside chat from the 2023 Sorensen Impact Summit with Randy Shumway, founder of Cicero Group, and Jeff Davis, the CEO of the Sorensen Impact Center. It was originally scheduled to be recorded at SOCAP 22 in San Francisco, but organizational snafus pushed it to this amazing event that was held in March of 23 just outside of Salt Lake City in the snowy mountains of Utah. During that event, Randy discussed how his more than 20 years of volunteering with people who are experiencing homelessness has influenced Cicero Group's consulting work within the social impact space, along with governments and foundations. He shares why evidence-based approaches are necessary to effectively address the increasing dilemma of homelessness throughout the United States. I'm here with my great friend, Randy Shumway, who's the founder and CEO of the Cicero Group. Cicero has offices around the country, one internationally, is ranked as a top 50 consulting firm in the world, top five best to work for. You didn't put this on here, but I think top 15 or top 14 um, boutique consulting firm in the world. Uh, But most important for our discussion today here, there's the personal part that we'll get into, but also Cicero has a very robust social impact practice. and they take the big brains that could have been working at Bain or McKinsey or were previously and apply them to, to social issues. So uh, a bit about Randy, a little bragging here because he would never say this himself, but in 2016, he was recognized as Utah CEO of the Year. 2017, he was honored with Utah's Lifetime Achievements Award. He was probably too young for that, but he's done a lot. Um, uh, he, he was at Harvard Business School and was a Baker Scholar, which is the top the top of the, basically the top of the class, the highest academic honors. He sits on a number of corporate boards, is on the University of Utah Board of Trustees, and relevant to our conversation today, is on the State of Utah's Homelessness Board. Anything you want to correct, amend, or add? No, thanks, Jeff. So Randy and I, we, we, we may be a little bit light here today. We've known each other for, we're trying to calculate. 25 years. 20-something years, yeah, that's right. We were in, in, in grad school together. Um, Okay, Randy, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in working with, I'm going to use the term, there are lots of terms, unsheltered, 
displaced, displaced, experiencing homelessness, experiencing home. I'm, I'm going to say homelessness, and you can talk a little bit about why and your perspective on that if you want. Um, but tell us how you got involved and why you're involved. Yeah, I, I think there's there's numerous reasons um, why why homelessness. Those you know um, um, you know the, the immediately destitute uh, is a focus of of mine personally. I twenty wow twenty two twenty three years ago, uh, my wife and I were recent uh, graduates. Uh, 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 had, had recently the two of us had recently completed graduate school and moved to San Francisco, and um, um, had befriended just a sweet thirteen year old in our in our neighborhood our, where we lived was was just in San Francisco was just a, a, a near some of the affordable housing. Um, 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 uh, apartment complexes, and so you know we we'd gotten to know them and and interacted with them you know quite a bit and and um, and we would later discover that when he was in this dire situation, outside of school teachers, we were the only adults that he really knew and felt comfortable with, and so one night he he called and said, "My mom." Um, my mom's in jail again. I don't know for how long, um, and uh, and I'm I'm scared, and I I uh, I don't want to be alone again. Uh, can I crash on your couch? And so we went and picked him up, and uh, and um, uh, two months later, Child Protective Services stepped in, and, and they were absolutely superb to work with. They said that he would never be able to return to that situation, uh, and that they were going to put him into foster care and. And Maureen, I was 28 years old. Maureen was 25. We were way too young to be doing this, but 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 we raised our hand and said, you know, can he can he stay with us? Uh, and and we became foster parents unexpectedly, and 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 subsequently uh, adopted him. And so it, and and he has been an absolute joy and integral part of our family. So that that probably was the first. Uh, t time we had um, uh, had 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 experienced this degree of 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 trauma um, and precarious life circumstances, yeah, insecurity. Um, but then you know, I'll, I'll jump around. You know, about fifteen years ago, I was at a, a breakfast, and Pamela Atkinson, who who is a leading advocate for those experiencing homelessness came to speak to our small group and she she I remember vividly she said every one of you here you're not doing enough if you uh uh you know it was right around the christmas period and she said if if you just dropped off a you know a handful of blankets and some jackets um and checked that off your list that you had helped those experiencing homelessness it's not anywhere near enough and i i just sat there feeling so chastised because literally that's exactly what I had taken my kids to do like three days before. And I'd be like, yay, I, I, I did so much good. You know, and I taught my kids, you know, uh, how to give back and, and kind of patted myself on the back. And, and, and I thought, yeah, she's talking to me. So I, I went to the Catholic community center and said, you know, could we, could we, could we serve? And, and they said, yeah, and they were just great. And so from that point forward, our family has taken the second Saturday of every month 
and we go buy all the food and then we cook it and then we serve it. Um, uh, about 750 individuals that, that are experiencing homelessness or, or are located in the resource centers. And, and our, our, our children and family have been doing that, you know, for the last 15 years. It's tremendous. Jeff, you, you talked about our, our long friendship. Uh, you, your family has joined us a number of times. And then I'll, I'll do a third and a fourth real quick, but I'll reference it later as we talk. Uh, for the last about five years, I've had a, 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 this role as, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, informal caseworker um, or formal caseworker, but 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 untrained, uh, doing it as a volunteer, and have worked with probably really on an intimate basis about three dozen individuals who are in their path of healing and recovery. And then fourth, as an organization, this is what we do. We work with municipalities and states, foundations, um, um, uh, applying evidence-based practices to, to solve um, uh, the, the, the increasing um, um, dilemma of homelessness throughout our country. Let me, let me take it a little deeper before we go into some more, just setting the context and, and helping us all feel this. You've told me some of the stories of these people that you've been working with. Share one or two that are that are appropriate, just so we so we can just really feel what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, thank thank you, thank you for asking. Um, two years ago, I um, conducted the funeral for one of them. Wonderful, wonderful woman who I had been working with for three years. She had been sober for three years. Um, she had had some um, uh, physical, medical um, um, uh, challenges just recently. She was feeling lonely. Uh, she was hurting physically. And I, I had just been with her probably two days previous, and I said, please, 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 you know, lon loneliness is the enemy. Call me if you need anything. And she relapsed. Uh, and, and, and oftentimes when uh, an addict will go a number of years without of uh, uh, sobriety, they, when they relapse, they take the amount that they were taking previously when they were a, 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 an addict. But they haven't, they've been sober for years now, and um, their system isn't um, acclimated to that amount, that quantity. And they overdose, uh, and it's it's one of the uh, biggest reasons why uh, recovering addicts um, um, uh, pass away. It just broke my heart because she had she had made so much progress. Um, I another uh, another woman that I just have so much admiration for. Twenty eight months of sobriety. She uh, uh, she had been in a recovery center. And she had asked for special permission for her five-year-old son to live with her in the recovery center. And uh, he, they, they share a twin bed and because she did not want to lose um, um, uh, her parental rights. And for 28 months, that sweet young man uh, um, um, you know, shared a bed with his mom and she'd walk him down to the school bus and he'd go to school and then she'd go to, 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 to activities and counseling and, and, and her part-time job. 
and uh, in my role i have access to a bit of a budget and and she we we got when she left the center uh she was able to get into an apartment but she wasn't able to get in for two weeks and i i remember uh, i was i was getting her into a a, uh, a long-term hotel that we had have a special rate with and my uh, um, 16-year-old son at the time walks by and says oh shucks dad she's done so well and it's been such a long road send her somewhere nice it's Christmas uh, and I said well what do you think and he goes well send her to uh, Finn's and what, what's it called it's a it's a hotel that has these indoor uh, uh, um, it's kind of an indoor water park um, and and uh, and I go online and it was twice as expensive and he says come on it's Christmas and I said yeah you're right and so we we put her in that facility for two weeks until she could move into her apartment and the next day, she's sending me videos of her son going down this this water slide just so enthusiastically. Um, you know, sometimes we we forget, you know, those experiencing homelessness, the implications for their for their for their family, for their children in particular. Uh, but I've just I've, I I have witnessed so many tender experiences uh, working, you know, on on a, on a, on a on an intimate basis with 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 so many of these individuals on their on their road to recovery. Thank you. I, I, I do that because, you know, you're you're gonna hear or we're gonna hear from Randy. He's very intellectual, very smart, analytical, which is where we're gonna get the insights. But I wanted to go there for you know, Baker Scholar at Harvard Business School, executive, you know, CEO of this big deal company. I want us to to feel what you're feeling. I'm, I'm going to add a little more. I hope you're okay with it. Um, and, and share that, you know, you purposefully moved from a very comfortable country club type of life in a, in a part of Utah that was very insulated from all of this. You purposefully moved downtown and you moved, Salt Lake doesn't have a ton of inner city type thing, but you moved to where you could get closer. I think surrounding your home, there are two halfway homes. Um, four. Four, okay. So you purposefully moved there to be in this. We, we started to worry that, that our kids, that, that it was a very insular, homogenous experience for them. And, and we really were worrying about the implications of that. And, and um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just share with you, I, I talked about these individuals that I've, that, that I've been able to work with. Um, I have two sons, one that's 22, the other that's 20. Uh, and and uh, the first time we helped an individual move after she had graduated from one of these recovery centers, we got a bunch of, volun a, a bunch of donated furniture and, um, and furnished her apartment uh, uh, before she arrived. And so we pick her up and we take her and we're so excited. And, uh, and she walks into the apartment, she's in her mid 40s and she just starts to cry. And she says, I've never had my own apartment and I've never had such, such, such beautiful possessions. All, all of this furniture had been donated. Jeff, I think you, you had donated one of the couches to the boys. Um, and, uh, and, and Austin and Tyler were so touched that they went home, uh, completely unprompted for me, went home, got on the phone, started calling every person they knew to say, what do you have in your house? 
that you that that you want hold out that you're getting a replace. Uh, uh, they were they were calling moving companies and contractors. That was it was it was funny. And they got a they got a um, a um, a storage unit donated, and they went and took all of this furniture and put it in the storage unit. And then every time uh, one of these individuals that we were working with would graduate from one of the recovery centers they would have the beds and the couches and the and the dining tables and things like that in storage in order to furnish their apartment. So it's just been a remarkable, positive experience for our family. Thank you. Thanks. I, I wanted to, to set that context so that we get a sense this isn't CSR for you. This isn't a nice thing that you do for publicity, you know, whatever, that this is real in your core and in the core of your family um, as we go through here. Okay, I, I mentioned homelessness. Uh, and as a term, get air quotes there, early, you've talked about how that is truly, as you, have you, you've gone deep, you've done, you've done this emotional work, you've been in it, you, you've clinical work experience, but you've also studied this analytically and very, very thoughtfully, et, et cetera. Um, and, and you've talked about how homelessness, that's not even the right word. Not, that's not a, at all. That's a not symptom yeah. for bigger, deeper issues. And by calling it that and treating it that way with a knee-jerk reaction to shelter, that's perpetuating part of the problems. Talk a little bit about that and the difference, the different, you've, you've found kind of three different scenarios under which people, quote unquote, experience homelessness. Talk about those and the differences among them. So, so let me answer that in two ways. First, you, you referenced the label homelessness, uh, and, and, and that label has, has, has progressed appropriately to those experiencing homelessness, um, uh, 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 the unsheltered, uh, the dis displaced. There's, there's lots of different terminology. Um, uh, and and uh, interesting anecdote, I, I spoke to a group of, of business owners a while back, and uh, and told them when you when you have problems um, with 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 individuals that 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 um, you know are, are 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 committing crimes or something like that outside your business, don't call the police. Call this number, get a caseworker out, and have them come help. And uh, and a while later, one of them said to me. Randy, we had somebody that was that was, that was trying to break in, and then they were trying to get in fights with people that were walking in, and and we, you know, had seen them um, inject, you know, um, uh, something into their arm outside, and then they were kind of, um, you know, uh, jumping up and down and screaming and 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 so forth, and scared. Um, but my colleague said, "Call, call the police, call the police," and and I remembered what you had said, so I called that number, and. Uh, and I said, we have a homeless person out here who's who's scaring everybody, and and here's what's happening. And and the person on the other line said, sir, they're they're dis displaced. Let's let's refer to them correctly. And he said, I don't I don't know what to refer to them as. Just come and help. I've got this homeless person out. And they interrupted again. And said, sir, if we can't refer to them respectfully, I'm not going to be able to be helpful to you. And and this business owner said. Oh, for Pete's sake! And hung up and called the police, right? And I was like, "No!" Uh, so sometimes we get a little too focused on the labels. Uh, again, not not minimizing it. I think I think any chance we have to 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 speak respectfully matters enormously. Uh, but we really need to be focused more on the diagnoses. Exactly. Analytically, it matters more. We get hung up if we just stay at the quote unquote homeless level. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, second, we 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 refer to homelessness. As this catch-all, and 
homelessness is such a bad term uh, because, as you said, it's an observable symptom. Um, uh, and the reasons are diverse. Jeff, five years ago, you and I are in Ghana, uh, Accra, Ghana, together, and we're going through uh, what, what's traditionally referred to as a, a, a shanty town, right? Um, and in Accra, Ghana, the reasons for these individuals being displaced are economic, uh, uh, lack of access to good jobs, to you know, uh, 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 education that will give them the opportunities that, that others are having access to. It's about government corruption and things like that. In the United States, uh, at different times in our history, that has very much been the case. For the most part today, you can categorize those who are unsheltered, those who have been displaced, in three general categories. Uh, uh, situationally homeless, episodically homeless, and chronically homeless. And for a person who's, uh, uh, who's situationally homeless, again, the, the, the reasons are, are diverse. It, it could be due to domestic abuse, um, um, uh, 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 discrimination, uh, getting kicked out of a, out of their home. Um, um, it could be a loss of loss of job and overwhelming bills, uh, medical physical medical challenges, mental mental um, health disabilities, and so forth. Uh, and and for those individuals, uh, you know, rapid rehousing and 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 helping them get access to 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 the to the services you know that that will help them quickly get back on their feet is just so critical and the worst thing we can do is um provide them similar services as to what we would give someone who's experiencing chronic homelessness uh, because it actually perpetuates some of the root challenges that they're encountering um and 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 causes them to slide into more episodic or chronic homelessness. And second, we've got to help them rebound quickly because you have the greatest success rate when they're situationally homeless. Uh, we don't like to admit this number because it creates this feeling of despair. But once an individual is chronically homeless, uh, society has a single-digit success rate at helping those individuals, um, you know, progress in the in, in uh, along the continuum of care. Let's spend some time on that on on the chronic. But before we do, so we've we've got situationally, which I think we can imagine. You know, somebody's working at Walmart and they lose their job. They don't have a lot of uh, a lot of capital, social, financial, others to to recover, or other, the other things you mentioned. Talk about, talk about episodically really quickly so we see the difference in the, the reason this is important is you and I have talked about this and you've educated me on it is that the, the diagnosis, quote unquote, if these aren't too clinical, leads to a different treatment, which leads to a different outcome. And we, when we tend to just group it all within <clears throat> homelessness, we, we miss it. So talk, talk really quickly. So we've talked, you know, situationally, talk episodically, and then let's go deeper on chronic. And I'd love for you to share some of the numbers. Uh, you know, break it down for us in, in Utah from your perspective. 
Um, and, and you say break it down in Utah. I'll tell you, it's the the the, the characterizations I'm providing are again. We work with uh, as an organization. We work with organizations all over uh, the, the the municipalities and um, state entities all over the country, and it's consistent across across the board. We um, um, episodically homeless. Again, I, I keep giving anecdotes, but but oftentimes these are individuals. Who there's bigger underlying underlying um, obstacles. Uh, um, sometimes it's addictions. Um, uh, very consistently, it's it's anxiety, uh, depression, other um, um, mental health uh, obstacles um, that that aren't getting the care that they need, and so they are repetitively um, unsheltered for short periods of time. But 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 in in each of those situations, their circumstances are 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 being piled on, and so it's just really hard to dig out of. They they want a job, they want a house, they get one. It's just hard to keep it. I mean, we've probably all met these types of people as you're talking to people, whatever on the subway or wherever you are. Yeah, I just got kicked out of my house, but you know, next month I'm hoping to this. Okay. So those those and so we can see how the the what we would want to do to help those people can be different. Talk now about the chronically homeless, which are probably when we think of quote unquote homeless and people jumping up and down in front of stores or wherever that was, yelling things, you know, un, unwashed and long hair, all of that type of thing. Talk about what you've learned causes that. That's a symptom of some deeper things. Talk a little bit. We don't have a ton of time. Talk maybe a little bit about what you've learned about trauma and about the need to be connected and, and other things there for healing. So the core issue with absolute consistency is debilitating trauma. Oftentimes, um, um, uh, these individuals are suffering from a, a, a very traumatic uh, uh, mental health disabilities. Uh, often, the, there's there's substance use disorder that, that accommodates it, uh, accommodates it, that accompanies it, um, and and where those two exist, um, often um, um, criminal criminal activity. Follows. Now, I'm not suggesting that they're criminal. But I'm suggesting that there's criminal activity that that occurs under those circumstances um, because bad actors profile them and prey upon them. And and uh, what's interesting is one of the things that um, advocates so well intentioned do on behalf of these individuals is actually substantively exasperating that root problem of trauma. Say more on that. Give some and that's, that's un, uh, allowing unsanctioned camping. And, and if, if you, if you look in, if you, if, if you watch the news about it, you'll see legislators and, 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 and business owners and community members standing up and saying, we don't want our community to look like San Francisco or Portland or you know things like that it's look and 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 that 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 suggests you know the 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 um the litter and the graffiti and the and 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 you know, the other types of things that 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 might make it the community look less 
economically prosperous and it might hurt business and things like that. And so very well-intentioned advocates say, are you kidding me? We're more worried about appearance than we are about helping individuals. Uh, and, and so they, they run to the rescue of these individuals. And, and thank goodness they're giving voice to a vulnerable population that doesn't otherwise have a voice. The problem is that the, 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 the who cares about the litter? and the vandalism and the graffiti, they're right. That's insignificant compared to the worth of a human being. But the real problem is trauma. And every night that we allow unsanctioned camping, we are exasperating the root problem. I think of a woman that, that, that that, that I worked with for a number of years, um, sober, she recovered, um, we got her a job. We got her um, access to public transportation. We 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 um, uh, got her an apartment. She was doing so well. She relapsed, um, but then called me the next day, and we went and got her the help she needed. And then she continued to progress, and then she relapsed again. And two or three days later, she reached out, uh, and we got her the help that she needed, and she continued to progress. Remember, change is rarely linear. But the last time that she relapsed, she disappeared for a month. She was on my doorstep a month later. I I didn't recognize her. Um, And we rushed her to the hospital. And the attending physician afterwards said, the damage done physically is indescribable. Uh, She'd been gang raped repeatedly. But then this physician, attending physician said it pales in comparison to the emotional um, damage. And we got, her, we got her checked in to the Mental and Behavioral Health Institute, Huntsman Mental Behavioral Health Institute. But three days later, she voluntarily walked out, and that's the last time we've seen her. Every day we allow, uns- again, unsanctioned camping, who cares about the litter and the and the graffiti and so forth? What we care about is the fact that every day it's allowed, they're preyed upon by bad actors in such a way that we are substantively exasperating the trauma and making any um, effort of rescue that much more difficult. We have a few minutes left, Randy. Talk a little bit about what you've learned is helpful in those situations. Obviously, you're working one-on-one with people, and it's somewhat helpful, but it's very hard. Talk, actually, before we do that, talk about some of the statistics you've understood of once people become chronically homeless and are left in this type of situation. But then talk about, you, you've talked about the importance of connectedness and community in healing from this trauma, in addition to all the clinical work and, and everything else. Talk a little bit about those two things. Uh, but but my, my, my favorite word as of recent is propinquity. It's proximity. It's because we lacked it during COVID. Right, right, <laughs> right. Because we lacked it during COVID. That's why. And, and we uh, humans need interaction. Again, I'll, I'll refer to Pamela Atkinson when we were uh, started serving at um, 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 the Catholic Community Center. Uh, she told me, now, Randy, when somebody walks in the door, touch them on the shoulder look them in the eye and say, thank you for being here. Individuals need 
validation. They need to be valued. They need to be needed. And um, um, they, they already feel marginalized. And so that, that connectedness um, tends to counterbalance adversity. And again, the physical touch many um, are receiving when they're, you know, chronically homeless and, you know, um, um, living on the streets is not positive physical interactions. It's, it's violent and, and traumatic uh, physical interactions. And so we, we, we need in, at, at every step to be providing a human connectedness. Second, we, we, we uh, very, very well-intentioned, we have invested significantly in um, affordable housing and resource centers and things like that. And uh, we often hear municipalities say we can't keep up. And the reason is that while shelter is important, it alone is so inadequate. We need wraparound services. We need a coordinated entry system and process that takes the time to really diagnose some of the root challenges in order to get people the services that they so critically need. Um, and, and, and I mean, we've got to be graduating significantly more caseworkers and social workers, which is going to require some innovation uh, at our universities. One of the things we've been ad advocating as an organization for the last couple of years is the development of a LPN-esque caseworker program certification at the community colleges and the applied technology colleges so that we can more rapidly get people at the front lines helping and diagnosing and understanding. The, the challenge is that those people-oriented services are very time-intensive, people-intensive, very, very costly. And yet the alternative, both economically and socially, are so dramatically more expensive. So you, you've touched on a, a number of things here. Spend two minutes. If you were, I don't know, you probably can't say any more king for a day, whatever the equivalent is. If you had a magic wand and you could design or redesign the system such that, meaning the one size fits all, oh, homelessness means we need to build more homes, shelters. So, and that's slightly oversimplified, I know, but from that, redesign the system with some of the things like you just mentioned, better trained, don't call the police, you know, call this type of person who can come diagnose us, which, come diagnose which of these three, you know, situations this person is experiencing, what, what's the root cause, Give us quickly an overview. If you, if you could design this a system better, how would you do it? What are three to five, seven points you would you would design? We would we we would have um, sub substantial substantially better wraparound services, and by that I mean the people intensive, time intensive uh, services surrounding um, uh, addiction, mental and behavioral health. Um, um, education to employment opportunities, therapy, uh, um, um, uh, helping individuals um, uh, uh, get 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 out of this, you know, overwhelming um, uh, bill collection um, uh, cycle that they might be in. All, all of these things that are that that just take time and expertise. They cost money, 
Um, and, and yet they are worth their weight in gold. So, so we have to provide that. Second, you do have to provide safe shelter. Uh, it is difficult for people who have limited possessions, who are, are trying to recover, if they don't have the security of, uh, of a dedicated um, 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 uh, bed uh, uh, for them and a place to put their belongings and so forth. Third, uh, we, we would eliminate unsanctioned camping uh, uh, completely because, because what that is doing is digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper, making it virtually impossible for us to help individuals uh, on, the, on their road to recovery. Fourth, we 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 would we would reform um, um, uh, the the judicial process. Uh, you know, so often we're sending people to jail when what they need is a hospital bed uh, and 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 mental and behavioral health, you know, care and therapy and and medication and so forth. So often we're giving people criminal records that that define them in such a way that that when they do. Um, um, find success when they do um, uh, get on the road to recovery. It's this anchor around their neck that prevents them from um, 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 uh, getting access to the jobs and to the apartments and to you know opportunities within society. Um, that that were activity that did not reflect who they were, but was criminal activity that was a reflection of the. Of of the addiction and the and the confusion that was created from mental and behavioral health obstacles and 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 substance use disorder. I, I don't think you consider yourself a defund the police advocate, but a lot of what you're saying, different mechanism, similar diagnosis, similar systemic view of what's going on. You're saying, look, let's not have nine one one be the first call we make. Let's have, I don't know what the, the equivalent is, but let's have this be, let's be the call. Let, let's, it, I, I don't know if anyone's ever called you that. You wouldn't call yourself that, but I think you're saying very many, many of the similar things. Let, let's pause if you're all right with that. Give us a, give us a, what, what's the key takeaway in 15 seconds? And then let's get a few questions before we, break. We, we do need to talk about law enforcement for, for one moment, Jeff, because Let's not lose sight of the fact that we put way too many responsibilities on law enforcement, uh, and 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 we, we uh, thank goodness that we have individuals that are uh, protecting so all of society, um, and 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 their and their roles are so complex. We simply need to complement their efforts with effective social work and caseworkers and, and therapists that are out uh, uh, working with these individuals. And we're seeing some of that ride-alongs and things Thank like that, that are really helpful. Yep. Okay. Okay. Give us the fifth, not even 10 second takeaway. What do you want people to take away from this? Debilitating trauma. Stop calling it homelessness. Because when we understand what the root cause is, the solutions that we will bring to bear will be much more efficacious. And, and this, is a, this is an audience that doesn't have a voice, which is causing some of the trauma. And seeing them for who they are and helping them truly heal is worth its weight in gold.
Fantastic. Thank you. Did we have a question? We had to step out. One good question. Please. Sure. Um, can you reference any examples of sanctioned camping where wraparound services exist that are working in this country? Uh, yeah, um, so I'm, I'm going to answer that two ways. One, we're seeing it in Miami. Uh, there's other there's other areas we're seeing it. Um, um, yeah, the state um, homeless board that, that we referenced um, um, a moment ago here in the state of Utah, um, uh, Wayne Niederhauser, former uh, president of the state senate, who after he retired was asked by the state to come back and and help lead this effort. I mean, just a tremendous example of 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 of, of sacrifice and leadership on on, on his behalf. Um, Wayne Niederhauser right now is advocating for some some land purchase uh, that that would allow for about 250 units. It cost about fifteen thousand dollars each. Uh, um, they 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 they're individual units um, where they can um, sleep and lock their door and 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 um, um, you know nice dining facilities that they have access to and um, uh, facilities where they have you know uh, 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 um, medical physicians and 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 mental and behavioral health experts and therapy and and job placement and 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 you know access to you know organizations that are bringing in clothing and things like that and most importantly they're able to uh, for lack of a better word I'm going to say patrol outside in order to prevent bad actors from preying on these individuals and so it's not about, you know, um, uh, micromanagement within the sanctioned camping. It's about protecting these individuals so that, so that they aren't being exploited. And that is so much safer, has such a higher success rate. And it's frankly much less expensive economically. Great. Thank you. I think way, way up here in the front, we had another question. Thank you for this panel. Um, so I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area for a number of years and experienced, you know, met a lot of people. It's okay, sorry. <laughs> so um, I think in San Francisco, there's been a focus on housing, like you mentioned before, they provide a lot of housing for displaced people. But do you see any evidence of like more of the social programs, the the caseworkers or anything that you've spoken about? Because I feel like there's been a real lack of that. Yeah, particularly. Yeah. So, so I love, I love um, this question. It's a longer answer. Let me go on a bit of a journey in responding to it. Thirty-second journey. Yeah. Um, in the, because so many businesses and community leaders and policymakers, you know, have, you know, their terminology is well, I don't like the look or it makes me feel scared or things like that. It's been framed so incorrectly. And so those that have the service providers, the advocates for, our, uh, for, 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 for individuals who are displaced, you know, have just had to put their head down and just defend and advocate. Um, but there's been some unintended consequences. 
um, um, uh, of that. Um, uh, uh, one of which is 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 they've created a bit of a fortress from external, you know, um, input and 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 recommendations. We have a dearth of evidence-based practices as it pertains to caring for those experiencing homelessness. So one of the things we strongly advocate is independent third-party data collection in order to understand what's working and what's not working. Uh, it's called M&E, monitoring and evaluation. A, a much better term would be M and E and L and R, you know, monitoring, evaluation, learning, recalibration. Uh, oftentimes, public policy doesn't allow for recalibration to occur, but smart, dynamic uh, uh, public policy should allow for people to be able to say, here's what's working, here's what we thought was going to work, and we strongly advocated for it, and it didn't work. And it's not because we're idiots or because we didn't try, it's because we didn't know. There's so much that we don't understand, and so give us flexibility to recalibrate and improve and learn from one another. And so we just need much greater, in this process, we just need to own. There's a dearth of, of, of evidence-based practices. There's a dearth of, 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 of data. So let's start collecting the data. Let's be vulnerable enough to say, things that we thought were going to work aren't working. Let's do a better job of framing what the root problems are. And, and then when things do work, let's celebrate those and share those best practices and then innovate on top of those. And, and again, the message that I continue to repeat as, as, as we share this is the outcomes are worth it. They are worth the investment that this requires because we are quite literally saving you know, we're saving souls. Uh, and I say that, you know, in, a, in, in the most humane, humanistic way I can. It's not just about their physical well-being. It's about their hearts and minds. Which is, as, as well-intentioned as the shelter-first advocates are, I think it, it covers, it obscures all of that. Thank you. I see, I think, quite a few other questions. Do we have time for one more? Or do we need to cut off here? We have, we have time for one more? Okay. So I run a nonprofit called Health Tech for Medicaid, and if you are aware, um, most of our unsheltered individuals uh, qualify for Medicaid. They typically fall into the 22 and a half million people who often will never get on Medicaid um, due to a whole host of things, um, not wanting to be on the grid, too much paperwork, not able to find appropriate documents want to be off the grid, don't want the government in their business. I mean, I could keep going on and on and on. Um, but I think the key to a sustainable solution around um, housing also is health, right? Um, health is our largest economic indicator. And I kind of feel like without having some sort of connection to your health care, housing um, gets to be very problematic. So I'm, I'm very interested in looking at, and I agree with you, there's 40 years of evidence that tells us a lot about how do we care for societies. And I've also ran public hospitals in this country, so deeply um, embedded in this population set myself. Um, but I want to know what we're doing around benefit assistance or linking folks with not just getting clothing, which is wonderful, and getting somebody a meal, um, which is also great, but it's, it's very short term. It is until the next meal you need, until the next pair of pants you need. 
how are we going to get people sustainable, focused um, ways to plug into an ecosystem that actually can improve their quality and duration of life? One of the challenges with Medicaid is some of the lack of flexibility, which results in 22, 23, 24 million individuals who, who qualify but will never enroll uh, for, for myriad reasons, as you articulated. We need CMS to be more flexible. We're working, for example, with what is CMS for those who don't know. But well, uh, so so CMS oversees at the federal level me Medicaid, Medicaid, and Medicare and other things, right? So 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 the 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 the, the as if the, we we're working with the state right now, we're one of one of the recommendations. And again, it, there's no one size fits all. So we've got to be trying different things, and we've got to have the flexibility to do it. But knowing that they won't, knowing that knowing that they won't enroll, knowing that they won't enroll, um, um, what they're trying to do is 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 uh, they're proposing to CMS using Medicaid dollars to create mobile clinics that go out to people and provide the medical care without those individuals having to enroll, without those individuals having to provide you know, information that they're, they're, they're unwilling to provide and that is obstructing them from getting access to the medical care. And the, the state that's proposing this acknowledges these individuals all qualify. And, and it's gonna be a lot more expensive to care for them if we don't start providing them access to care right now. Um, and we've got, we need, we need states and municipalities trying different things. Again, having third party independent data collection in order to verify the efficacy of what they're doing and then reporting that back to CMS and then CMS broadcasting the, the innovative techniques that are working so that other municipalities can can try that and for CMS to facilitate that type of innovation and 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 and, and effort. Randy, we're we're gonna cut off here, but thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you on multiple levels. Thank you for your work doing this for our local community here, but also across the country. Thank you for the people that you're trying to to help. Thank you for taking the time to come here and share this with us and help us be smarter and hopefully more compassionate um, as, as we interact. We, so we re really appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, I'm more hopeful than I was before our conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Money and Meaning. If you were inspired by the conversation and are interested in getting more involved with the SOCAP community, join us at SOCAP 23 in October. As a podcast listener, you can save $50 off the current ticket price with the code MONEYMEANING23. That's all caps, M-O-N-E-Y-M-E-A-N-I-N-G-2-3. Register today at SoCapGlobal.com. We hope to see you in October. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast, Money and Meaning, wherever you get your podcasts to be notified of our next episode's release.